today we are concluding a six-week series called Love and Marriage. And someone just told me this morning, an older person said to them, you're talking for six weeks on marriage? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do not idolize marriage here at Woodside, but we do honor it. Uh, God created it for a purpose. And uh, the purpose being is that in a marriage relationship, the husband and wife are to uh, reflect the relationship between Jesus and his bride, his church. And so it is a variable honor, honorable estate. And today as we close, we're talking about growing with each other, that if you're married or you're looking to be married, God's design is that two people will become one, two distinct people becoming one. They're sharing life together. Through life, they're growing together, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the challenge for us is that it is easy in our day to grow apart. If we don't um, prioritize this relationship, other things take our time and energy, it's so easy to grow apart. Uh, marriage takes work. And today we're going to talk about working at growing together. And we're going to look at three commitments that you as a husband or you as a wife can make that will cause you to grow together as a couple. When you have a husband and wife making these commitments, uh, it's gonna lead to this inner closeness. Uh, so again, if you're married, may God speak to you. If you're not married uh, and you hope to be, may God speak to you. And even if you're, you're not married and not planning to get married, there's something I believe God has for you today. So we'll be looking at a number of verses. The first one is, uh, passages, the first one is found in 2 Peter 3. So if you wanna turn there. And the first commitment, that causes uh, a growing together is where the husband and wife both commit to growing in a relationship with Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter gives us these instructions. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That if you put your faith in Jesus, you're a follower of him, God's plan for you, for all of us, is to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We're learning more about him as we journey through life, what he, what, who he is and what he's like. We're learning more about what he's done for us and what he's promised to do for us. And so we are, our, our focus is on Jesus. And again, the focus or the, the goal is not simply that you would know about him, know your Bible, but that you would become like him. I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, each year, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? The way he thinks is the way that you think. The way he acts is the way you act. That's growing in your relationship with him. And we see it all through scripture. If, in fact, if we look at eternity past, God's plan for you uh, is to be made like his son Jesus. In Romans 8, we read, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Um, so we look at 1 John 3. Uh, when Jesus appears, uh, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Jesus is fully God, fully man, and being fully man, he's perfectly man, and that's what you will be one day. You will be like Jesus, who is full of love, joy, peace. You'll be all of those things. But in the present, you are becoming, in practice, what you are in position. 2 Corinthians 3 says that the more that we 
Behold, the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, transforms us or changes us into his image. So God's plan for you is that you're becoming more like Jesus. Now, for a husband and wife, it's got to be a, a personal decision. This is personal growth. A husband can't change the wife, and the wife can't change the husband. But when you have a husband and wife both willing to change and become more like Jesus, that's going to lead to this inner connection. And again, how do we, how do we become more like Jesus? We read our Bible, we pray, we go to church. Uh, those position us to meet him and to learn about him and to experience him. Uh, we also have different spiritual temperaments. So um, you connect with God and you're close to God in, in some ways more than others. Some of you, um, it's out in nature. You're naturalist. You just, man, you feel so close to God. You're talking to God out in nature. Some of you are activists. You're, you feel close to God when you're working for a cause uh, for those in need or, or can't speak for themselves. Some of you are intellectuals. You feel close to God when you're learning more about him. Uh, some of you are contemplative. Um, uh, where you're just, you're kind of thinking and, and, uh, and um, uh, being quiet before the Lord. There's different temperaments that we all have, but we're taking the responsibility to say, I am going to become more like Jesus. So that's spiritual growth, husband and wife. Now, spiritual intimacy is where a husband and wife share their spiritual growth. They're talking to each other about the Lord and how they're doing with the Lord. They're praying together. They're worshiping together. Uh, we read this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, these words. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Let the, the message of Christ, the word of Christ, the Bible, let fill you up and then notice this is a context of believers. They're to be teaching and counseling each other. One translation says admonishing. So in other words, as you're going through life, you need other Christians speaking into your life. You've got to give them permission. Hey, if I don't act like Jesus, I want you to talk to me. And then you're also able to talk to them where, hey, that's not really reflecting Jesus. And so that's to be among Christians. In a marriage, in a home, that's where it starts. That the husband's talking to the wife, and the wife's talking to uh, uh, her husband, and they're encouraging each other. And they're saying, this is, we're both on a trajectory to become more like Jesus. Uh, so that's, that's this intimacy, sharing, and sharing together, praying together, worshiping together. And what happens when you do that as a couple? It binds you spirit to spirit. You have this sense of closeness. Now, one thing I want to mention, it doesn't require that both of you are at the same level spiritually. Okay, especially sometimes a guy, the husband, he's like, well, my wife, she knows the Bible. She was raised in a Christian home. I came to faith later, and she knows more than me. It's not a matter of who knows more. The ground of the cross is level. Okay, there's nobody superior or inferior, but it is where two people are wanting to grow and they start to talk. And if you, as a husband or a wife, you've never had spiritual conversations with your spouse, start to do it. Just, here's a verse 
that I just, it's been, it means a lot to me. I, I just read it this week. Or I was listening to this Christian podcast and they were talking about Jesus and, and this teaching. Or I'm really struggling at work. Would you pray for me? You're talking to one another about the Lord. I know for myself and my wife, Lisa, um, once in a while, other than when we pray at the family meal, but grab a, a hand and just say a quick prayer. Um, I haven't arrived. We haven't arrived. We, we still have to work on it. But it's like you're, you're going to uh, an important hockey game or you're going somewhere and you pray uh, for your child playing hockey or, and hopefully it's not the person driving, at least pray with your eyes open. But you just, let's have a word of prayer. Or, um, or you're just asking, how was your day? And then you're sharing and, oh, you're, you're, you're kind of pushing them. What's the Lord saying to you? Or what's, what's happening there? So that's spiritual intimacy where you're talking together. And it's not easy. If you've never done it, maybe you need to start before you start talking about things of the Lord. Just, hey, I have not been a Christ-like husband to you. And I want to confess that. But I want to be a Christ-like husband. Or I have not been a Christ-like wife. And you confess to each other. What we talked about last week, you're forgiving each other all through life. And, uh, and then you start talking about things of the Lord. Now, what if you're here and... Um, you have a spouse who is not a Christian or has stopped growing as a Christian, what do you do then? And I just want to pause for a moment and say to those of you that uh, are thinking of getting married, something you'll hear in church is not to be unequally yoked with someone that doesn't know Jesus. And again, the verse, and this is from the King James Version, 2 Corinthians 6, we read, "'Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers.'" For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And that unequally yoked is a farming picture of an ox and an axon, two different animals, and they're connected at the neck, they're hitched together, and they're plowing a field, but they're unequally yoked. They're going in different directions. It's, it's not going well. And if you um, are... Are, uh, and this is a context of Christians with non-Christians in Corinth, but it applies to a marriage relationship. If you want to follow the Lord and someone is pulling in a different direction, doesn't have the same values, doesn't have the same beliefs, uh, it's going to be hard to grow in the Lord. So um, uh, just a, a word to those of you looking to get married. I, you can have a really nice person and God can still work. But boy, you want to find someone that knows Jesus. So, so very important. But if you have someone that's not growing or not a Christian, what do you do then? Just a few things. One is uh, focus on your, yourself, on you growing in the Lord. If you focus on your spouse, oh, my spouse should be like this and is not doing this. That's the wrong focus. It needs to be on you. Lord, help me. Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I show love? How can I be patient? And obviously, um, that means uh, that you're working with your spouse. It doesn't mean you're silent, that you just do whatever your spouse wants to do. It doesn't mean that you're, you agree with every decision that your spouse makes. But it does mean you're showing respect to your spouse and you're not trying to get them to change. You're focused on yourself changing. And, um, and as well, in that relationship, there needs to be boundaries. Uh, if you're a Christian, you're not a slave that you do every single thing. There needs to be boundaries uh, in that relationship. So focus on yourself. Obviously, pray, pray, pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Um, another thing is discern the amount of time that you give to, to your spouse and then also to the church. 
uh, because a follower of Jesus, you want to go to church, you want to maybe be in a life group, uh, hopefully your spouse is, that's okay, but how much time should I be at church and life group, and how much time should I be doing things with my spouse as a companion? They're not competing against each other, Lord, help me there. And then, but here's the key, a key one, is you release your spouse to the Lord. You realize that you cannot change your spouse and say, Lord, they're responsible to you um, for their relationship. I want to be, as 1 Corinthians 7 says, I want to be that sanctifying, sanctifying influence on them. But Lord, you've got them. And can I remind you, if you're married to someone that's not yet a Christian, that you could be the perfect spouse. You can do every single thing right. But until the Holy Spirit opens your spouse's eyes to their need of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, that life's all about him, uh, nothing's going to happen. So you've got to release that to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, help me to be the spouse that you've called me to be. Husband, wife, both growing spiritually, then they talk and they pray with one another, they're going to church, and there's that spiritual intimacy, and then what does that look like? Uh, a summary passage of, of what it means to be more like Jesus is Galatians 5, where we read, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's plan for you is to become more like Jesus, and what does that look like? You're a loving person. Lord, help me to be a loving person. And when you're not a loving person, the Holy Spirit convicts you. Go say sorry. But you're trying to meet the needs of your spouse. You're looking out for your spouse. Uh, you're a person that has joy. You know you're going to be with Jesus forever. You've got this joy in your soul. soul. You're a grateful person. You're counting your blessings. Uh, you're a person of peace. You're working for peace. You're not carrying irritations and anger. You're trying uh, to resolve things. Um, can I ask a question? Anybody, would anybody like to be married to a spouse who has love, joy, peace, patience, all those things? Yeah, it's a good thing. When you have two imperfect people and the Holy Spirit is making them compatible and you're, they're seeing more love and joy in their relationship, it's a good thing. I just want to share two, two times, uh, two... Um, two things that ca can cause us to grow apart as husband and wife. And the first one is differences. I've mentioned this before. Um, for those of you that married, you all know the certain things that your spouse does that's different than you, that can bug you, irritate you, drive you a little crazy. Everybody good? If you're not married and you think that you and your you know, future spouse will be fine, no, you're different. And that's a good thing. You, as a spouse, have to make a choice. Am I going to choose to let these differences bug me and irritate me, or am I going to cover them and even accept them and even leverage them? When you're under this Holy Spirit, becoming more like Jesus, Jesus does not want you just going around in your marriage upset about all of these differences. He wants you to see it as an opportunity for growth that you reframe those differences. So uh, let me give you a classic example. Uh, Gary Chapman, who wrote the, the Five Love Languages, and he's written many books on marriage. I recommend him. But he talks about the time when he first got married, the first three years, he, was, he wanted his wife to change. All of these differences wanted her to change. And there was a point where he just released it and said, I'm not going to try to change her anymore. But 
He talks about one of the difference he, differences he had with his wife. She used to always, or she always, leaves the dresser drawers open. Am I talking to anybody today? Leaving the dresser drawers open, and he's a dresser drawer shut kind of guy. And so in their marriage, they had the conversation, hey, you're different than me, and could you do this? And, and, and this was one of the things she was just like, nah, I'm not going to change that. They had a little 18-month-old daughter who one day got injured uh, because of the open dresser drawer. They took her to the hospital. All the time he's feeling like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yes, Lord, you are good. Um, he came home, and she didn't change. And he said he came to the point where he had to make the choice. Is this going to cause me to be miserable, or am I going to overlook it? And you know what? I can close them myself. And that's what he chose to do. In my relationship with Lisa, uh, there's been differences and we, a lot of similarities, but there's differences because we all have them. And we've talked over the years and um, she's come a bit this way and I've come a bit this way, but there's still some that I have to cover. And I've got a few that she has to cover. And I will say it's a good thing. We're to the point where we're like, we realize it's, these differences are good and we can leverage them, okay? So if you're structured and your spouse is spontaneous, you're a night person, your spouse is an early morning person, you leave the door, dresser drawers open, your spouse closes them. You um, like silence once in a while, the other person is loud. You're working through those things and the things where, okay, it's not quite going your way, the Holy Spirit will help you to show love and joy and peace. And can I encourage you to, uh, as a couple, especially young couples, is learn how to make those suggestions, right? You don't, uh, something comes up in a conflict, you don't say, well, you are like this, and then you have 10 different things that irritate you. Because what's going to happen there is your spouse is going to come back with seven things that irritate them, right? And it's just not going where. Maybe like once a month or so, say, hey, you're just the most wonderful husband, uh, but could you? Okay, so <laughs> something, something like that. Again, in, but the difference is there's no right and wrong. And if you win, I've come to realize I don't want my wife to be like me. And she doesn't want me to be like her, right? You, you lose the richness of two different people. So difference is one area that, man, you need the Holy Spirit making you more like Jesus. A second one is when you're under a lot of stress, especially for those of you that are in what we refer to as baby season, there's different seasons in marriage, and baby season, you're, you're giving so much time and energy, and your relationship... Um, uh, is lacking or it's hurting for a little while, can I encourage you in baby season one to, to schedule time to be together? Somehow you need to get together to maintain your connection and uh, you'd schedule that. But here's the, here's the key thing, is that during baby season, you are giving your spouse grace and more grace. And your spouse becoming more like Jesus is giving you grace and more grace. You're reminding myself, my spouse is not meeting my needs. My spouse didn't say that in the right way to me. My spouse didn't, but I'm not perfect either. 
and I'm not meeting all of her needs, and I'm not doing everything perfectly for her. So you're just giving grace during that season. It's not just baby season. Maybe it's a broken season where you've experienced loss, and, and that's affected your relationship. Maybe uh, it's just a plain old busy season. So we need to be giving grace. Where does grace come from? Our relationship with Jesus. You died on the cross for me, Lord. It helped that, that grace and love flow to me, but through me. Um, so it's a good thing when couples are both seeking to follow Jesus. A second commitment that causes growth is when the couple, husband and wife, um, decide or commit to making decisions together based on the word of God. So Jesus is at the center of the marriage. We're both going to grow in a relationship with him. And his word is the final authority when it comes to making decisions. His word is what we are going to abide by. And if you decide that, it grounds you. Because so often we can listen to other voices or we can follow our emotions and we can run into a lot of problems. Listen to what Jesus says, and this is the two builders, two foundations. We have to make a choice whether we're going to build our life, our marriage on him and his word or we're not. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Just a summary. Jesus says, if you build your life, your marriage on me and my word, it's a good thing. He then goes on to say, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. If you hear my teaching and you don't obey it, ah, I know God says this in his his word, but I don't feel that, uh, like doing that, or I don't think that applies to me, or um, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Jesus said, you're foolish, because sooner or later you're going to realize it's the wrong decision. And so a couple, they, when they're both committed to making their decisions together based on God's word, it is a good thing. So a couple is looking at life through the lens of Scripture, and they're coming under the authority of Scripture. They're saying, Lord, what's your will for us as a couple when it comes to our money? when it comes to our time, when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to having children, uh, raising children, what's your will? They're constantly going to his word. Uh, A couple things about my relationship with Lisa. One is we have always made decisions together, um, and especially those big decisions, um, keeping Jesus at the center of them. So big decisions, where are you going to live? Who's working? Anybody going back to school? Children? Children going to public school, Christian school, homeschool? Um, should we adopt a child? All of those big decisions, um, she would share, I would share. Here's how I feel, here's how I feel. And we'd show respect. But here's the thing. Love is patient, love is kind, right? It doesn't bully, it doesn't demand. So we were always like, uh, she would say her piece, I would say my piece, and then here's what we would do. We would do the pros and cons and weigh it out, but then we'd all say, Lord, we commit this decision to you. In the next little while, if you want us to, to, 
it looks like with the pros and cons, here's what we should do, but we know every decision isn't necessarily based on pros and cons. If you want us to do something else, then we're asking you to work in the days ahead. And during that time period, we would keep talking, keep praying, and keep being patient uh, with each other. And, uh, and then we would make that decision. Two different people, two different ideas, but a unified decision. So um, making big decisions, they need to be together. Another thing that, that we did was we made decisions in advance. Can I encourage you, especially young people, is that you would sit down and say, okay, outside of the moment, here's what we're going to do as a couple. So for us, I've mentioned this before, one is we decided that we wouldn't go to bed angry, we wouldn't let the sun go down on our anger, that we would always schedule to resolve unresolved conflict, and that took creating a safe environment. But we weren't going to carry anger and bitterness around. Second decision we made, uh, and this is more when we had a family, uh, is that we were going to spend time together as a family, in two, two areas in particular. Every year, we would try to take a family vacation together. And then secondly, at supper time, as much as we could, this would be our family time where we would um, sit down together. I uh, had a friend who, or an acquaintance who um, shared with me when our kids were young, he said, we don't have a supper time together, ours is breakfast time because of my job, but my wife and my kids were always there at breakfast together. It's a time to connect, a time to be together. We've also added a little uh, something to that supper time together, supper time together with no smartphones, no devices, right? The odd time somebody's right, like who's the king of such and such and you know, we're asking questions, oh, let me look that up. Um, but for the most part, the phones are away. But here's the third decision, this was a big one, is that we decided from the beginning that divorce was not an option. If you're, if you're divorced, again, we're not, we're not here um, to any way um, uh, look down on you because you're not. God's a God of grace. But if you're married and you haven't made this decision, would you take it off the table? It's not an option. God wants this to be permanent. That's what he's revealed to us. We will make it work. And what a difference it makes when two people are saying, we're, gonna, we're making decisions based on God's word, and so that means we're not getting divorced. What a difference that makes when you have disagreements, when there's times of conflict. Instead of like worrying, oh, is she going to leave me? Is he going to leave me? It's like, no, nobody's leaving. It's the issue that you're focused on and um, that you make that option. And can I say too, if you've used the divorce word, now, again, if there's um, abuse, adultery, abandonment, that's a different conversation. But in regular marital strife, if you've used the divorce word as a threat, you need to ask your spouse to forgive you and you need to stop today. That's, not, that's unhealthy and it's not God's will. Okay, so, so don't use that word. Take it off the table. Um, and just a note to, to those that are struggling, I referred to this book before, it's called The Case for Marriage. Um, but in The Case for Marriage, they found, uh, after doing extensive research, and it's a few years old now, but they found that couples who were unhappily married, they weren't in hostile marriages, but they were unhappily married, five years later, they interviewed those same couples, and 86% of them were very happy in their marriage or quite happy in their marriage. 86%. So if you're going through a difficult time, don't give up. Don't quit on your marriage. Keep fighting for it. They found two 
two things about those couples that found themselves in a better place. One is they, they had a work ethic. They were both willing to work at their marriage. But secondly, they both had family and friends around them that didn't value divorce. It is so important, especially young people, young uh, couples uh, mentioned before about going to church. Uh, couples that go to church are happier, and so that's great. But couples that go to church, they have the benefit of surrounding themselves with other Christians who, when you're struggling in your marriage, can come alongside and say, don't quit, don't give up. Hey, have you thought of this? Okay, let's pray, let's work at this, as opposed to not having any Christians in your life and someone saying out in the world, I wouldn't put up with that. Uh, Listen, you should be happy. You should just be happy. You should go. And by the way, again, happiness, when you seek it, you won't find it. It's a byproduct of holiness. God's purpose for marriage is not that you would be happy. It's that you'd be holy. You become more like his son, Jesus. And marriage has a way of making us more like Jesus, does it not? When you get married, it reveals to you, hey, I'm kind of selfish. I'm kind of impatient. I'm kind of like all of these things. And God wants to use your spouse to chisel you, to make you a beautiful diamond in the rough. There you go. But when you do that, that holiness then leads to happiness. So make your decisions together based on God's word. So feelings, can I just share about feelings? Feelings, uh, if you're going to grow together, can't, you can't be an emotional decision maker. You have to grow in your ability to make mature decisions. When feelings are driving your decisions, uh, she feels this, he feels this. Feelings are fickle, they're up and down. Feelings can be real, are real, but they're not always right, okay? We don't deny our feelings, but we bring all of our feelings under the word of God. And when you have two couples that have learned to do that, it's a powerful thing, as opposed to, well, I feel like this, I feel like this. What does God want us to do? Now, just a quick note before we move to the third point, is what if your spouse has clinical depression? Because what about those feelings? What about a spouse who is sad and apathetic and negative and tired and doesn't necessarily choose to do that? Often hereditary. If you're married to someone with clinical depression, what do you do then? Because how they are affects you. Just a few thoughts there is make sure you educate yourself because when you understand what your spouse is going through, uh, that understanding brings empathy. When you don't understand what they're going through and you're just like, why are you like that? It's going to create more problems. Secondly, that you would um, talk about it, that you would bring it out in the open. It's not like, oh, there they go again. No, you're talking about it. But here's a third thing is you develop a plan. When, When the one spouse experiences that, that severe depression, what's the plan? What's his needs? What's her needs? Are we ever going to talk during that time? Are we ever going to go for a walk? Or what are we going to do? So outside of the moment, you're coming up with some sort of plan. And then fourthly, if your spouse suffers from clinical depression, is that you're praying for your spouse and for yourself, but you're reassuring your spouse that you love them, that you're not walking away from them. Okay, so feelings, we're made up of feelings, okay, it's part of who we are, and uh, we want to uh, acknowledge them, but they all come under the Word of God. And then the third commitment is that 
the husband and wife are on mission together for Jesus. They both commit to being on mission for Jesus. Uh, God brought you together as husband and wife uh, for a purpose. And it wasn't like, oh, so you can just do what you want to do and you can do what you want to do. No, it's for his glory. And we find this uh, back to the first marriage. Genesis chapter 1, we read these words. And God's going to give that first man and that first woman, the couple, a, a purpose. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God brings them together and says, you've got a purpose. The first purpose is to be fruitful and increase in number. I want you to procreate. I want you to raise a godly family. Now, not every couple can or will raise a family, but that's God's purpose um, that he outlined that we are to. So if you have a husband and wife and saying, okay, we have the shared mission together. It starts in our home. We're going to do our best to point these kids to Jesus. We're not perfect. If we blow it, we're going to ask for forgiveness because we don't want to get away of the cross. We want them to see Jesus. And when you have a couple that both have that same mission, you start talking together. You start praying together. You start interacting together. And in that spiritual intimacy, you're like, I think you need to go and apologize to your, to your son. Or I think you need to go and take your daughter out for this. You're working together, raising a godly family. Second purpose that God gives is that subduing and ruling. It's the idea of governing over God's good creation. We're not abusing it. We're governing over it. It's this idea of taking the reign and rule of God and advancing it throughout the earth. It's, it's saying, God, we represent you, and so we are now going out to advance your kingdom. That together, you're in, in your family, in the church, outside the church, together you're on mission for Jesus. And I want to ask you, have you, have you talked to your spouse about what you're doing together as a couple? You know, the Lord has just been laying this on my heart. I just think for this next season of life that maybe he wants us to do this. Or I've been thinking about this. What do you think about helping out here? And you're talking together on mission. You realize that your marriage is much bigger than husband and wife. It's about Christ. It's about advancing his reign and his rule and his kingdom. So I want to ask you, maybe, and maybe that for you might be, uh, helping out at kids' uh, midweek program on a Tuesday night together. It might be saying, hey, maybe God's calling us to be marriage mentor, uh, mentors. Maybe it's, he's calling us to both help out with youth or something. There's so many different ways that God uh, can use us as a couple. So today, as we close this series, there is hope for our marriage, marriages. Okay, again, we're prioritizing this relationship we're working at this relationship where we're serving one another, forgiving one another, and growing with each other. And um, at Woodside, we will continue to fight for godly marriages, for thriving marriages. So yes, we're done six weeks talking about marriage, but we're going to talk about it again. And, uh, and so we want to encourage you too. 
If you're struggling in your marriage, we want to come alongside you and help you here at Woodside. I invite you now if you'd pray uh, with me before the Friendship Club comes back up and leads us in a song. Lord, for all the marriages represented here uh, at Woodside, uh, Lord, I ask you to work in each one. Lord, give us the faith. Give us the faith to do marriage your way. Lord, where there's stubbornness, there's resistance, there's pride, there's selfishness, God, I pray for your spirit to work and to break. And Lord, that we would have couples who are connected to, to each other, one with each other. Help us to that end. I lift up every single marriage. Help us to fight for them. Lord, for those that are divorced, I pray, uh, Lord, for healing for each of them. I pray for hope uh, for their future, Lord, that you would guide them and lead them and help them in the way that they should go. Uh, Lord, and for everyone here that's thinking about getting married or, or possibly hoping to get married, Lord, I pray that you bring the right person, a person that, that knows you. I pray for that right person. You bring that person across their path. Lord, in your providence, I'm asking you to do that. And uh, Lord, thank you for Woodside. And Lord, help us together to fight for marriages. And we pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.